Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open them to the book of John chapter 2. We continue line upon line, precept upon precept. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, this is the way the Word of God should be studied. Not hopscotching through it, not taking the pastor's favorite sermons and topics and, and what's relevant in our society necessarily today, but that we need to learn line upon line, precept upon precept. Why is that important? So first of all, you are established in your faith. First of all, you need to be established in your faith. And number two, that you can make good defense for your faith. Because many, many people have been talked out of their faith because of very smart, seducting spirits that go out into the world. And so you need to know why you believe, what you believe, and the reason you believe it. And so we're going to look at this today as we continue on. But you know, as we look at this, the Word of God is so important today because the Bible tells us that people in the last days will do whatever they think is best to do. Well, we know that that doesn't work. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that we would understand what you're saying to us, and we could defend ourselves from the onslaught of the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 2 of the book of John, as we continue on reading, is interesting because in these first two chapters of John, we have Jesus' seven-day planner. You know, it's like your little iPod thing, and you have all the things written down, which you're going to do all week long. Well, if we go back just real quickly, day one began at verse 19 of John chapter 1. Day two began on verse 29. Day three began on verse 35. And then there was a three-day break, and then on the seventh day, on the third day, and what it means the third day after the last day, There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now this is really important to understand this relationship, first of all, that John had with Jesus and his mother, and also that Jesus had with his mother. Now, we understand that there's a lot of ideas that go around. Unfortunately, most are not biblically based. Such in case in point, we remember Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code. Many of you uh, remember that book that came out with great controversy, where it said that Jesus was married and that he had children and all. And of course, it was all made up. It was completely fake. But yet there are religions around today that embrace that very idea. Now verse 2 it says, Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. This is a very important verse, and you need to bracket it in your Bible. Put parentheses around it. And this is why. Because you may come in contact with somebody who believes that Jesus was married. And this verse will help you defend your faith. Because when we get to verse 3, it tells us, 
And they, when they ran out of wine at this marriage supper and feast, they ran out of wine. The mother of Jesus said to him, said to Jesus, they have no wine. Oh, in Middle Eastern culture, to run out of wine, uh, uh, to run out of food at a wedding is like one of the greatest insults you could do. It's like you didn't care about your guests. So this was a real problem that in the midst of all this joyous occasion of this wedding that Jesus and his disciples were invited to, now they ran out of, they ran out of wine. What are we going to do? And so Jesus' mother, Mary, goes to him and says, Jesus, they're out of wine. Jesus said to her, now friends, this is a very unusual verse here, because this is the first miracle that Jesus did in his earthly ministry. Now we're going to talk more about this in a minute, why this parable is so dynamically important for you to defend your faith. The first thing it says, Jesus said to her, woman. Now that's weird. I have it circled in my Bible, see? Because he doesn't say mom, He doesn't say mother, he calls her woman. Jesus is separating himself now from his mother's strings to where he calls her woman. Jesus' earthly ministry was not predicated upon any relationship with Mary, his mother. We know today the Catholic Church and others will say, you pray to Mary, and then Mary takes the message to Jesus. Well, that's pretty demeaning to know you can't dial direct and save. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man. That's Christ Jesus. So there is no going through somebody else to get to Jesus, whether you're praying to an apostle or praying to the church's bishop or behind a a a blind where you confess your sins. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. So he says, woman... What does your, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Couple of things here is important. Jesus here basically says, my ministry is not to provide wine at weddings. But yet at the same time, nobody felt that Jesus was a cosmic killjoy not to invite him to a wedding or to a party. Now, friends, that's important because sometimes we have the idea that Jesus was this very stern-faced, unhappy person, angry at people because of their sins and all these kinds of things. You would never want to invite him to a wedding. But in fact, Jesus was invited to this wedding where they ran out of wine. Jesus' mother comes to Jesus and said, they have no wine. And Jesus said, really, what's that my business? My time hasn't come. But notice verse 5, the faith his mother had. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you to do, do it. I like that. Whatever he tells you to do, you do what Jesus says to do. Now, There are different groups around today that say that this was Jesus's wedding. In fact, the Mormon church teaches this. It's found in their books, if anybody's Mormon and would like to check it out, it's in your Doctrine of Covenants 282. 
282, basically saying that this is where, in 1854, Carson Hyde said that Jesus was at this wedding. This was his wedding. Going back to the Da Vinci Code, it's one thing to say Jesus was married, but the Mormon church actually takes it farther, and they say that Jesus was a polygamist. Now, again, what is weird is people would say, well, that's what Corson Hyde said. Well, the only problem with that is in the Doctrine and Covenants 280, Brigham Young said, yes, what he's saying is of truth. So Jesus, according to them, was married. And this was his wedding. In fact, Corson Hyde said other things recorded in other books that even goes much more into elaboration on this was Jesus' wedding. Why is that wrong and how can you prove it? Let's go back to verse 2. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Wouldn't that be weird to be invited to your own wedding? Hey, by the way, we're getting married this week. Uh, I think maybe I should get invited to that. you got to be really careful, and you need to read the Scriptures carefully when you read them. You know, a lot of times it's real good to read quickly through the Scriptures to get a good overview. But sometimes it pays really to go back over what you read and look at every word, what it is saying. You know, the Bible says we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I'm not trying to pick on church religions here. What I am trying to do, though, is have it where you can defend your faith. Because here's what happens, and I've had this happen to me personally. I've had people come to me, such as Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and others, come to my door dress nicely, and they will walk up to me and they'll say, have you heard about the gospel? Or what do you think is coming to the world? And I say, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. I'm a Christian. And they don't say, oh, well, God bless you. We'll see you later. They spend the rest of their time there with me trying to convince me to convert to Mormonism. Anybody, does anybody relate with this? I'm the only one that they sent her out and do this to. So they try to convince me to become a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or something else. It isn't, God bless you, I'm so glad you believe in Christ, goodbye. If you don't know how to defend your faith, you can get sucked in with these things. Well, this doctrine of Jesus being a polygamist and being married here in John chapter 2, based upon Journal of Discourses 282, is not something that the church generally teaches. And as a matter of fact, the Journal of Discourses is where all their unusual doctrine is. I've shared this before. Because in the Book of Mormon, you don't find Jesus was married. You don't find that he was a polygamist. You don't find Satan and Jesus being brothers. You don't find that you're going to be a god yourself someday. This is all in the Journal of Discourses, which makes the Mormon church the Mormon church. Now, why is that important to know? You, every Christian, needs to know how to defend your faith. Now, if we were perhaps in another area of the world, perhaps in India or in some other place where Islam or Buddhism was that of the relevant religion of the area, I would be telling you the differences primarily between Buddhism and and Hinduism and Islam compared to Christianity. But when you have more, there's more per capita Mormons in the state of Idaho than in the state of Utah. A lot of people don't know that. So you know how, you need to know how to defend your faith, not because we don't like them, we love them. Hey, listen, 
Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, anybody, come to Jesus. That's where the message of the gospel is. It's not in these abnormal doctrines that are not found even in, unfortunately, their own, so to speak, holy books, like the Book of Mormon. Well, his mother said to him, whatever he says, do it. You know, there's an act of faith that I believe that God honors. And in that act of faith, where God says to him, whatever he says, do it. I believe that that's how we live as a Christian. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when we look at this, there were set, there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews. Now let me explain that a little bit because they had these jugs that were sitting there. In fact, if you read the rest of the verse, it was between 20 and 30 gallons apiece in these stone pots. Water purification had to do with a lot of things. They, you remember, they came to Jesus one time and they said, how is it, Jesus, that you and your disciples eat with unwashed hands? Because in order to be purified, you would have to wash your hands. So they used a lot of water in the purification of their personal hygiene for these things. And so they kept a lot of water on hand. And they didn't have, of course, tap water. Everything they did, they had to get and draw from a well, take it home, pour it in the vessel, go back to the well, fill up another smaller vessel, pour you know, to carry a 30-gallon 30, a 30 jug, you figure water is about seven pounds a gallon. And so seven times, seven times 30 is uh, over 210 pounds. You're not carrying that on your head. So they had these vessels that were filled with water. Well, what Jesus then told them to do, notice, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they fill them up to the brim. By the way, what I do like here, we've been looking at the dynamic principles of Christ. Last week, we remember he named, he named Peter Caiaphas, which means rocky. Well, if you really study who Peter was through the gospels before Jesus died on the cross, Peter was anything but rocky. He was mushy. I'm going to call you mushy. Well, that doesn't sound very dynamic, does it? But that's what really he was. Jesus, I'll never deny I know you. I'm willing to go to the cross and die with you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny you knew me three times. Mushy. But when he was spirit-filled, when he saw the risen Savior, he changed his life. And the Bible said that in Acts chapter 2, Whenever the Holy Spirit came and everybody wondered what that was all about, he said, well, these people aren't drunk with wine. They're filled with the Spirit. And Peter began to explain, based upon the book of Joel, what they were seeing. So that's why it's so important that Peter recognized, or maybe I should say Jesus knew what Peter would be like, so he called him Rocky. And again, we talked about that being a great business principle. If you can see something for what it will be, for rather than what it is, you'll make a lot of money. You go by, you look at a developer, and they look at a piece of dirt. And they see a gas station and a strip mall. All we see is dirt and weeds. But they see it differently. If you can see things for what it can be, for rather than what it is, 
That's one of the principles of wealth. Now, I'm not up here trying to be a health wealth guy. I'm not that. But I'm saying there are biblical principles in the Bible that will help anybody in their business. And here's another one today. Now, there were six water pots going back. It says six water pots of stone. Jesus took what was there and he used it. He didn't say, well, you know what we really need is we need a super tanker in here. He took what they had, the resources that they had, and that's what God used for the miracle. Now, friends, you say, well, why is that important? Because that is another principle of business. You take what you have and you see how you can use it to further whatever goal you have in your mind. Or maybe I should say the goal that God puts in your mind. Look at the resources that you have. Now, in order to look at the resources that you have in your life requires a key ingredient. And you know what that key ingredient is? Thanksgiving. Because Thanksgiving requires me to look at what I have and go, Lord, thank you for that I have a car that runs. Thank you that I have a roof over my head. Thank you that I have a couple dollars in my wallet. Thank you that I have a wife. Thank you that I have my children. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you begin to look at what you have. Anything, listen, if you don't get anything else out of today, if you're born again, get this. Anything that you have in your possession today is an avenue of God's miracles in your life. Anything that you have in your possession today is an avenue for God's miracle in your life. Everybody oftentimes will say, well, I would serve God if I just had a, you know, an airplane with Jesus loves you written down the side of it and I'd fly around the world. What do you have now that can be yielded to the kingdom of God? Now look at friends, if God can use water pots, With water in them? Stone pots, by the way. By the way, that's kind of what we are. The Bible says we were created from the dust of the earth. God puts water in us and then he changes us into something that can bless others. He said, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Notice they didn't just say, oh yeah, it's pretty close. It's about four inches from the top. It says they leveled them off. Now, nobody at this time knew what Jesus was going to do. Do you you understand that? This is a spiritual principle. I, you, don't always understand what God is doing. All God's called me to do is be obedient. Oftentimes, when we come to God, we say, Okay, God, uh, I need you to do this in my life. Uh, I'm running low on wine. I'm running low on on funds. I'm running Okay, and so we get it all figured out how God's going to do it. And then God and His love does it completely different. All God's called me to do, you to do, is be obedient with that which we have. Again, being thankful, because being thankful causes us to recognize the water pots, causes us to recognize the blessings in our life. They filled them to the brim. By the way, Jesus could have just went, everything's done. But Jesus allowed them 
the servants to be involved in the process. Jesus allowed them to be involved in the process. Why is that? Because God wants you to be a recipient of the blessing and the provision of God in the end. I like that because God includes me in the process. I pray that God, you love God because he includes you in the process. It isn't that, well, Jesus is my genie. I rub the bottle and pop goes Jesus. How may I serve you, master? It's the other way around. I'm his servant. He's the Lord. But God allows me to be a part of what he's doing based upon the blessings of God in my life that I recognize are from him, that his hand will touch one of those things and say, this I'm going to multiply in your life. You know, I think one of the greatest things that Christians can do is take a spiritual inventory and a physical inventory of what you have. And think, how can I use this for the furtherance of the kingdom of heaven? Sometimes it may be your intellect, it may be idea, it may be your hobby, it may be your your natural uh, desire. Sometimes it may be a supernatural desire puts in your life. But God has and wants to put things in our lives to be used for his kingdom. It isn't God puts things in my life and I go, ha ha, they're all mine. That doesn't even sound like Jesus, does it? It's that God puts things in our life so we can say, God, thank you. Thank you for letting me be a steward of your things you have given me, water pots, whatever it might be, that I may in turn, with your touch, minister to others. It's the way it works. And he said to them, draw out some now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Now again, notice obedience. Without obedience, we really, and without faith, we can't please God. But doing it is putting faith, putting feet to your faith. Okay? I can say, I believe God can do anything. And I'm just going to sit here by the phone, waiting for somebody to call me to come get a job. No, God says, you go out, you know, all, somebody asked me one time, how much do you do and how much does God do? No, oh, that's a good question. I mean, in some places in the Bible, we, we see that God did everything. Then we look at the case like in Noah, where it took him over a hundred years to build a boat to save the world. How much do we do and how much does God do? Well, God, first of all, does everything we can't do. So I want to be real careful when I say, okay, God, I want you to do this when God says, well, you do that and I'll bless what you do. See, in other words, when we take a step of faith, that's where the power of God is released. Again, I've shared this many times. Why was God such a uh, God of miracles in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Whether it be changing the water to wine or uh, little boys coming back to life with Elijah. or well, why, was, why, why was God such a God of miracles? And then today we don't see very many miracles. It's because most people don't go and take a step of faith. That's where the power of God is. And that's where the power of God is released. Thank you for joining us on It's Time. As Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast 
in the iTunes Store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.